Well, we are in a series, as you probably know, called People, Places, and Things, and uh, we started it last week, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about a person, and his name is Jonah. We're going to go through the book of Jonah this morning, and, uh, but I'm going to start in the book of Psalms for my text verse today. So if you would, please stand with me. We're going to read the word together out of Psalm 149, or 145, excuse me, verses 3 to 8. It's the Psalm of David. It says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's a beautiful phrase. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And verse 8 here is my main text verse for the day. It says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The title of my message today is The God of Second Chances. Anybody thankful that we serve a God of second chances? Amen. Mm. And third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth chances. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we do love you today. We thank you today that you are the God of second chances. We thank you. As the text verse tells us that you are gracious and compassionate, that you are slow to anger and you are rich in love. God, we, we just revel in that today because it's nothing we can do to deserve it. It's just because that's who you are. And I pray today that your word would transform our hearts. We know it is your word that works in our hearts. We pray that you would do your work today, that you would seal it by your Holy Spirit. And God, that we would be better for it. Jesus, we long to give you all the honor and the glory today. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's children said... Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. How many of you remember a time where you got a second chance you didn't deserve? Amen. Somewhere in life, maybe somebody gave you a, a second chance in a, in a job, maybe a manager, maybe you messed up pretty bad and your boss said, you know what, we're going to give you another chance. Or maybe it was in marriage where you messed up and your spouse gave you a, a second chance. Or in a friendship where you did something and someone gave you a, another chance. Maybe with the cops getting pulled over. I've had plenty of those, mostly in my younger days, but cops say they'll give you another chance and they let you go, and you promise them you're going to slow down, but you don't. Um, maybe, excuse me, maybe in school, where you, maybe you took a test and you bombed it, and so the teacher gave you an opportunity to retake it. Seems like they did a lot more lately than they did when I was in school. They give you a lot of second chances on tests. I remember in school, a second chance I got uh, I was in junior high, so this is back in the mid-80s, and uh, it was back when those, those whistles that you blew into and it spun a little fan in it and it made a loud noise that was really annoying, and they were all the rage, and so kids were taking them to school, and the schools got tired of it and, and banned them from the schools, and of course, I took mine, and uh, I kept it in my pocket, and during lunch, a kid beside me was annoying me, so I took it out and I blew it right in his face, and little did I know, my big, burly gym teacher was right behind me. And he kicked my chair and knocked me up, and he said, come with me. And I went with him to the office, and he said, I want you to call your mother, and you're going to ask her if I can spank you. <laughs> yeah, that's back when they still spanked in school, you know. Never in my life did I hope more that my mom wasn't home. Because this was before cell phones, so <laughs> I thought about just dialing the wrong number, but I figured he'd probably catch me. So I called, she, or nobody answered, went to, went to the answer machine, and I was praising Jesus. And he looked at me and he goes, boy, son, today's your lucky day. 
He said, I'm going to give you another chance. He said, what are you going to do with it? And I said, I'm going to throw this whistle away. I got real emotional because I knew if he had his hands on, if he had his chance, I would have been hurting. So uh, I got a chance, another chance I didn't deserve. I think I probably did throw that whistle away. But, uh, you know, we all get second chances in life. You've probably extended second chances to people in your life as well. We all do. We're, we're wired to have compassion. We're wired to want to give people more than one opportunity. The idea behind a second chance is that when we give a second chance or we get a second chance is that it would make the person that received the check at second chance better. That we would learn from our mistakes. The idea is that we would learn from the mistakes we make when we get more chances in life that if you make a mistake in your marriage and your spouse forgives you and gives you another chance, you would learn from that, not just take advantage of it and continue to act in that way. And no, no relationship in the world is, there, is it more important that we get second chances than in our relationship with God. Because nowhere in the world is the bar set as high as it is in our relationship with God. Because, I mean, he says in the Bible very clearly, he says, be holy as I am holy. You know, that's a pretty high bar for us to be holy, right? He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He's not, obviously not expecting us to be perfect people, but he's saying, I want you to be set apart. I want you to turn away from the things of the world, from the, the things that the world would have you do and be set apart for me and be more like me. His grace in our life is designed to make us more like him. His grace is not a blank check for us to do whatever we want. It's, it's, it is the power of God in us that when we get those second chances, that we would become more like him, that we would be set apart, that we would be different, that when we see what we deserve, when we look at the word of God and see what we deserve because of the sin in our life and we don't get what we deserve, we actually get what we don't deserve, that that would take us to another level, that that would bring us up, that it would bring us closer to God and make us more like him. That's the whole reason God gives us second chances. It's not so that we can just do whatever we want and never have to have any consequences. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, in Romans 1, his letter to the church in Rome, he says, listen, if you continue in those ways, if you continue just doing what you want to do, if you continue in your sin, though you say you're a Christian, eventually God's going to give you over to those sinful desires. That's what it says. This is New Testament, that God will give you over to those things if you're going to continue in those things. In fact, he says then in Romans 2, in his second chapter, he says that if you continue in those things, you are actually showing contempt for the mercy of God. Because he says, don't you know that God's kindness and mercy is meant to draw us to repentance? It's meant to draw us to a place where we would turn away from those things so that we need fewer second chances. So that we, we still are always going to need those second chances because none of us are going to be perfect this side of heaven. Till we are standing face to face with Jesus, none of us will have sin conquered completely in our life. So we're always going to need the forgiveness of God, the second chances of God. But his mercy and his kindness and his compassion and his grace and his love poured into us that, that I read in my text verse today is designed to take us to a place of repentance where we would turn away from those things that are constantly causing us to need second chances and would bring us up to the place where he would want to be in our life. So I, I said we're going to talk about the story of Jonah today. So let me, let me get into that. I want to, we're going to basically go through the whole book and I'm going to give you some what I think are some relevant lessons that we can learn from Jonah even today. Uh, everybody knows at least part of the book of Jonah. You learn it in Sunday school growing up. And if, if you don't, if you ever read Jonah in 20 years, you still know that he was swallowed by a big fish, right? And he was in this fish for three days. And uh, it's such an outrageous and really puzzling story 
that many people, even today, still think, well, it's probably just an allegory. It's probably just an illustration. It probably didn't really happen that way. It's just a story in the Old Testament to talk about God's love and his compassion and his mercy and his second chances that he gives us. And some people even think, you know, well, it's just an illustration to show us a type and shadow of Jesus. Because in many ways, Jonah is a type and shadow of Jesus. We talked about this last week, that the whole Old Testament is pointing us forward to Jesus. Every bit of it. Last week we talked about the golden calf and how God made a covenant with the children of Israel. He just made it a few weeks earlier. And the first two rules of the covenant, the first two of the Ten Commandments, were do not worship any other gods and don't bow down to any false idols. Within a couple weeks, they blew it. They made a false god out of, a, out of gold, made a calf, and they, made some, and they worshiped him. And so they blew it. And by, by law, the blood covenant they made with God, he had every right to kill him. But he had grace and compassion for them. And he allowed Moses to stand in the gap for them, which is exactly what he did with Jonah when he asked Jonah to go to the Ninevites because he wanted them to repent of their wicked ways. So he allowed Jonah to stand in the gap so he could show compassion for the people of Nineveh. And Jonah being in the the belly of the fish for three days, there's comparisons there with Jesus. And so people would say, well, you know, it's just a story to illustrate who Jesus is and who he's going to be when he comes to the earth. And it's as if God knew that that was going to happen. Of course he did. He knows everything. So when Jesus came to the earth, he made a special purpose or he made special effort to mention Jonah while he was on the earth in, in Matthew 12, verse 40. He says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus right here is validating the story of Jonah. He's saying, it's not an allegory. It's not some illustration we're doing. This is real life. This actually happened. He's saying, just as it happened to Jonah, it's going to happen to me. And so he's, he's using this story to let us know, hey, this story of Jonah is actually real. So we can stand on the fact and know that the story of Jonah is real. This is a very short book. It's only four small chapters. You can read the whole book of Jonah in about seven, eight minutes. It doesn't take long to read it. And uh, it starts off with God calling Jonah to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which if you know your Bible history, you know Assyria and Israel were bitter, bitter enemies, hated each other. And Assyria was actually a very bloodthirsty, godless society, very evil. And God says, their evil deeds have come up before me. And he tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach to them and tell them to repent and turn from their ways. And and Jonah is not happy about it. He doesn't want to do this because he's a bitter enemy of theirs. So he runs away. He He goes to a port where there's ships. And instead of taking the ship that goes to Nineveh, he gets on a ship that goes 2,500 miles the other way to Tarshish. He says, I'm not doing it. So he gets on this ship and he goes... And he's on this boat with these sailors and and God sends a big storm. And the sailors are trying to figure out why the storm's coming. They're praying to their gods, nothing's happening. They finally go to Jonah and say, hey, you need to pray to your God because something's going on here. And they finally take lots, they cast lots and the lot falls to Jonah so they know it's Jonah. He's the reason for it. And so Jonah finally tells him, listen, the only way this is gonna stop is if you throw me in the sea. And so he was willing to sacrifice himself to save these guys on this boat. So they finally do, they throw him in the sea Immediately, the sea calls, calms down. And as you know, Jonah gets swallowed up by a big fish. Some people call it a whale. The Bible isn't clear what it is. We know it was a, uh, something that lives in the water that swallowed him. <laughs> and uh, he was in it for three days and three nights. And eventually, this fish spits him back out on dry land. 
And uh, Jonah learned his, he learned his lesson. He went to Nineveh. I don't know what would have swallowed him the second time if he kept resisting. So he, he went, and he went to Nineveh, and he went to preach to them and tell them that they needed to repent. And uh, it took him three days to go through the city. It was a big city, big, bustling city with tons of stuff going on. It was, a, it was a similar to the New York City of today. It was quite a place. And I want to read Jonah 3 because he goes through the city, and he's telling people, and it, word gets all the way to the king of Nineveh. So in Jonah 3, 6, it says, When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently to God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. There's that compassion again. These are not God-fearing people. They are godless. When God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. What a great story of God's mercy and grace to, not to Israel. These were not God's chosen people. Yet he still wanted to extend mercy to them. So Nineveh repents. And God relents. They repent of their, of their deeds, and so God spared them. And as the book of Jonah ends, you see Jonah pouting and throwing a hissy fit because he did not like the fact that God spared these people. This is the only revival in history where the evangelist was angry that his preaching worked. I, you'll never fully understand it. The Bible doesn't exactly tell us everything. We know that he was an enemy of theirs and did not want them to, he wanted them to be judged. He wanted to see God smite them. And yet God showed mercy on them. So this is the story of, of Jonah. This story is not a story about a big fish. The big fish is a very, very small part of this story. The book of Jonah is about a God of second chances. It is about showing the character of God even for a godless society and how he wants to give second chances. It shows God's incredible mercy and grace in, on display in the Old Testament of all places. You know, we think God's grace is an aspect of the New Testament, that God is very black and white. You know, you're either in, him, in the camp or you're out. There's no middle ground. And it was Jesus that came that, that brought kind of a gray area where we can receive mercy and grace. But we see very clearly that God, it is in his nature to be compassionate. It is in his nature to be merciful. It is in his nature to be slow to anger. Praise God that he is slow to anger and he is merciful and that that's what he wants. He does not want to judge us. He does not want to, to knock us over. I lived my, the early years of my life feeling like that's who God was. He's just looking for a reason to get me. Go ahead, mess up, Reagan. I dare you. It's not who he is at all. He is looking for excuses to pour out his mercy and grace in our life. The Assyrians were not God's chosen people, yet he still longed to have mercy on them. And so he did. But he did not just have mercy on the Ninevites. He didn't just give them a second chance. In fact, in this, in this book, there are three groups of people, and every one of them received a second chance from God. It starts with the Ninevites. They were the offenders. These would be the godless people of our society today. That even them, like sometimes we can think we want God to judge, or we want God to get people 
that we know maybe in Hollywood or in the political world or in areas where we see the evil just brewing. Let me tell you, there was nowhere worse in the world at that time than Nineveh. Yet God said, I don't want to judge him. I want to have mercy on him. That's who he is. He also gave a second chance to the chosen person, Jonah, who he would represent the Christians today. If you're a Christian today, we definitely understand that God gives us second chances and we thank him for it. And so he, he wants to give a second chance to the chosen person as well because Jonah needed a second chance too because he ran from God for a while in this book. And then thirdly, and the one that's easily missed sometimes, is he wants to give a second chance to those that are apathetic, to the nominal Christians of today. These are the sailors. These guys weren't bad people. They actually they had a, a fear of a God. It just wasn't the God. They were somewhat apathetic to Jonah's God, to the real God. Yet God gave them a second chance too, and I'll, I'll show you that here in a little bit. As we look at this story, we have to ask ourselves, where do we see ourselves in this story, and how do we respond to where we would see ourselves? I love the fact that the Bible, though it's thousands of years old, written thousands of years ago, uh, across a span of thousands of years, that it is still relevant today. Every word Every chapter, every book in the Bible is relevant today. The story of Jonah is not some cute fable about a guy that gets swallowed up by a fish and gets spit out on dry land. It is about the character of God that we can see today in our life and experience in our life. So what I want to do is take us through this and ask just a few questions that we can ask ourselves in response to this story of Jonah. And I would say the first question we would need to ask ourselves is, am I on the wrong boat? Now in your life, you're going in a direction. No one is standing still. Your life is moving in a direction. And you're either moving in a direction that's going towards God or you're moving in a direction that's going away from God. It really is that simple. There is no middle ground. It's not even possible. We are either with him or we are against him. It's very, very clear. And we know that Jonah got on the wrong boat. In fact, in Jonah 1, verse 3, it tells us what he was doing. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, some versions even say that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Do you see how rebellion can make you really dense? Jonah was a prophet of God. I'm sure in prophet school, they taught them that God was omnipresent. There's no question about it that Jonah knew that God was everywhere. Yet somehow he said to himself, you know, if I go in the opposite direction of the way God wants me to go, I can run from him because we know he's only over there. Joy and I like to say that sometimes sin can make you kind of dumb because it just makes, it dulls your senses and you start to say or do or think things that you know are not accurate but that's what sin does to us. It takes us into those places where, we really, where you find yourself eventually at this place where you never thought in a million years you'd end up here, but yet here you are. And that's what sin does. And so rebellion, when we are running from God, it will make us lose our edge. It will become dense and foolish in our life. Trying to run from the presence of God by getting on the sea, which he created, by the way, is like trying to get away from the sand by running up and down the beach. You just can't do it. It's everywhere. And the presence of God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. Because here's the deal, church. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life, and it is good. 
and it is wonderful, but it is not necessarily easy. It's not necessarily to do all the things that just make you excited. It's not necessarily to get a job or go into ministry in an area where you're gifted. Like God wants to use your gifts for his glory, but we can't just assume that because I feel a certain way or I'm, I lean a certain way that I should just pursue that all the time. God has a plan for your life and sometimes it goes against common sense. Sometimes it goes against what you might think. Sometimes he makes us do things that we don't want to do. I'm sorry if I'm bursting your bubble today, but that's how God works. He will make us do things that we don't want to do sometimes because he wants to see him himself glorified through our life. He has a plan for our life. And sometimes he'll make you have to let something go that you don't want to let go. Whether it's a relationship or it's a situation you're in. Maybe it's even a, a job. Or it's a, a dream that you have that you're having to let go of in your life. Maybe he's asking you to sacrifice, to give up something. Maybe he's asking you to give up more than you're willing to give. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, I'm on the wrong boat when it comes to my salvation. Because I don't mind doing the church thing. I don't mind trying to be a good person. But when it really comes to following the biblical description of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, I'm not doing that. I'm on a boat going the opposite direction because it costs so much to be able to actually consider yourself and call yourself a true follower of Jesus. There's a cost. There's a price to pay. And I can tell you that it's not always easy. It's not candy canes and rainbows every day. And I can tell you when you, when you decide to follow Jesus and give him your life, your whole life, and let him into every area of your life, you will have to leave things behind. There are things you have to leave behind if you're really going to follow him. But I can tell you, church, from experience, from 28 years of being completely dedicated to Jesus, I can tell you that he is so much more than anything you'll ever leave behind. He is so wonderful. He is so great. The joy of living with him and in his presence and, in, and glorifying him with your life, there's nothing better. And there's nothing I wouldn't leave behind that this world can give me that's better than living for him. That's who he is. So we have to ask ourselves, am I on the right boat? So you're going to have to choose. You have, you have choices to make in life when it comes to God's plan for you, whether it has to do with, with where you're living, your job, your relationships, your finances, whatever it is. But there, you have to make a choice. Am I going to get on the boat headed for Nineveh? Am I going to follow God's plan? Or am I going to get on the boat headed towards Tarshish? And let me tell you something today. Here's a little truth bomb for you. When you go down to the port and you're about to get, choose what boat you're going to get on, the, boats, the boat headed for Tarshish is a lot nicer than the other ones. In fact, the boat's going the wrong way. It's a fleet. It's an armada. And they're all yachts. And they're pretty and new and shiny. And they're headed to the French Riviera. They're going to the really cushiest, coolest places in the world. And there's all kinds of reason to, to want to get on those boats. And the boat going on God's plan is a little tugboat. And it works, but there's no bells and whistles on it. And it's going to get you where you need to go, but it's not going to be as glamorous. It's not necessarily going to be as exciting and fun sometimes to follow God's plan for our life. You see, the, the path going away from God is wide and many people choose it. That's what Jesus said. The path leading to life is narrow and few choose it. Why is that? See, if, if the gospel is all about Jesus is going to make your life better and everything's awesome, we would all want to take that path. 
He's saying it's not as appealing because you do have to leave things behind. You do have to sacrifice. You do have to surrender your life and your will to him. And so it's not as easy. So the path, the, the boat going up to Nineveh is not going to be as cute and pretty and have as good-looking people on it. Now in the church, everybody's good-looking, but you know what I'm talking about. And you will always be able to have excuses why we're not taking that boat. Okay? Now I'm not just talking about the the, the boat of salvation going towards Nineveh. Let's say even as Christians, when we're making plans in our life, and these aren't even always black and white sin issues. Sometimes it's just a plan God has for you, a calling he has on your life, and you're resisting it. You're resisting it because it doesn't look as trendy as the ones going over this way to the French Riviera, right? And you can make excuses all day why you're not getting on the right boat. I'm sure Jonah went down to the port, the Bible says, and there was boats going in different directions. And he might have said something like this when he went down to the port and said, okay, God, if you really want me to go to Nineveh, then I'm praying that only one boat would be at the port and it's the one going to Nineveh. And he gets down there and there's a bunch of boats. Hmm, okay. Well, God, if you still want me to go to Nineveh, then the trip to Tarshish is a lot further, so the, the fare is going to be more expensive. So make it so that I don't have enough money to afford this trip to Tarshish. And he finds out how much it is, and he, lo and behold, he has enough money in his wallet. What do you know? Well, God must be telling me to go to Tarshish. And so he jumps on. And we can do that in our life. We can make excuses all day and all night about why we won't do what God wants us to do. We'll put fleeces out. We'll, we'll do everything we'll do. We'll make outrageous claims and say, well, God, you know, if you want me to do this, then I need you to make it snow in Augusta in July. You know, you got to do something crazy, God. You know, I need to see writing in the sky, whatever it is. We will have all these stipulations on whether, how, how, whether or not we're going to do what God wants us to do. But man, we'll choose the wrong path on a whim. Gladly. I don't need any word from God to choose the one going this way. Because it's more fun and I get to ride in a yacht. Right? We can make excuses all day long. But at the end of the day, if we're on the wrong boat, the only solution is to get off the boat. Get off the boat. God is a God of second chances. But he can't give us another chance if we're still on the boat. you got to get off of that boat. You know, in Jonah's case, it was obvious he was on the wrong boat. The Bible tells us he purposely got on the wrong boat. And God would say to us, what does it look like to get off that boat? It's about surrendering ourselves to him and saying, God, your will, not mine, be done. God, if you have to break my will, do whatever you got to do. Give permission to God to do whatever he has to do to get you to get off that boat to make it as uncomfortable on that yacht as he can make it so that you'll jump off. Because the plan of God for you and the, the blessing of God in your life is to jump into the sea and get away from that boat. And you might say, well, preacher, you don't know. The cost is too great for me to get off of that boat. I would lose a lot if I did that, and I get that. But no one said following Jesus was gonna be easy. And I'm not talking about abandoning family. We don't sin, we don't go against the word of God to get off the boat, you know? We don't do the things that are contrary to his word. I'm talking about those things in our life that we know that are keeping us from really following God's plan. And Jonah had to do it. And you know, when he jumped off the boat, he expected a watery grave. But yet, God met him in that moment. God will meet you in that moment and give you a fish that will swallow you <laughs> figuratively if you will get off the boat. You see, that, what this tells me is that running from God does not disqualify us as long as we make the choice to get off that boat. Someone needs to hear this today. You may have been running from God for a long time. 
You may have been running from his plan for you for a long, long time. I can tell you today, running from him does not disqualify you because he's always chasing after us. All we got to do is stop running and turn around and repent. And he's right there to receive us with open arms, just like he did the prodigal son. As soon as the prodigal son stopped running, turned around and came back, the father ran to meet him. He didn't stand back there with his arms crossed going, oh, here he comes. He ran out to meet him, gave him his robe, his ring, his sandals, killed the fat calf, moved heaven and earth for him. He'll do the same for us. Running does not disqualify us, but it'll give us a second chance if we trust our God. All right, I got to move on. The second one, second question we need to ask ourselves is, is the storm from God? Is the storm from God? Sometimes God will send a storm to get our attention. Sometimes the storms in life are just storms, but sometimes they're from God. And if they're from God, it's hugely important that we have discernment to understand that it's from him. Because if the storm is from God, you don't need to rebuke the storm because that's a waste of time. You don't need to run from the storm. That's a waste of time. You don't need to try to manage the storm because that's a waste of time. If God brought the storm, he's trying to get your attention. And he's trying to make, get you to make a decision in your life. Just like he did for Jonah. In fact, Jonah, we know in his situation, the storm was definitely from God because in Jonah 1, verses 4 and 13, it says it very clearly that the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. The men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So what we learn from this is that fighting against a God-ordained storm is just going to frustrate you and make you tired. But yet we do it. You don't need to fight against a God-ordained storm in your life. This is for somebody here too today, guys, or somebody watching. If, if God has brought the storm, don't fight it. Give yourself to it. Figure out what he's trying to say to you. And you might say, well, how do I know? How do I know if the storm's from God or not? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because it's not always obvious that it's from God. But there are certain things we can look for. First of all, uh, it's what I like to call the difference between the three T's. I, I, did a, I did a sermon on this a few years ago about the difference between temptation, trial, and a test. And uh, many of you actually came to me and said that it brought some good clarity in your life. So I'm just going to briefly share it again because I believe it does give some clarity as to what we might be going through in our own life. And uh, the first one is temptation. So first of all, we have to understand that the source of temptation is always the enemy. It's always from the enemy. It's always from the sin nature that is in our life. I'm not saying it's the devil every time you're tempted right there beside you trying to get you to do it, but it's his sin nature that is in us that is tempting us. God does not tempt. He never has. He never will. James 1, 3, 1, 13 is very clear. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God will never try to get you to go against his word. Never. If, if something is, is, is being, if there's a drive in you to want to do something that you know is contrary to his word or his plan for your life, you can know without a question of a doubt that is not the Lord. The source is always the enemy, and the objective is always for your destruction. Temptation is always meant to destroy you, to take you further and further and further into sin, because that's the enemy's plan for your life. An example of that is Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. It was a very obvious case where uh, Satan's actually called the tempter, where he tempted Jesus. And uh, we, as we know, Jesus responded appropriately in that, but his goal was to destroy Jesus. That's what temptation does. The second one would be a trial. Trials come in our lives in all shapes and forms. The source of trials, there's actually a couple sources that can bring trials into our life. One is the enemy. 
The enemy would like to bring trials into your life. That's what he did for, with Job. He brought trials into Job's life. Uh, he'll do it directly or working through circumstances or through other people in your life to bring trials. Another source of trials would be the, just the fact that we live in a fallen world. It's the byproduct of the fall in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and sin came into the world. It also caused our bodies to, to be limited in what they can do and they break down, we get sick. You know, COVID-19 is a good example of a trial that came into the world because of just the fact that it's a broken world that we live in. What we know about trials is that God allows them, but he never is the author of them. So God allows trials to come into our life, but he's not the one that brings them. He allows them to come in. Sometimes you might have an accident that happens that's brought a trial into your life. That's something that God allowed, but he didn't author it. And it's the source of it is because we're a part of this fallen world. The objective of a trial, the enemy's objective is to harm you. God's objective is to glorify himself and make us better. That's what a trial is about for us. The, uh, a good example of a trial is Joseph. He was told by God that he was going to be a leader, a ruler. And for 13 years, he went through many, many trials that God allowed but didn't bring. And we see the words of Joseph at the end of Genesis. In Genesis 50, his brothers came to him and they were scared because their dad had died and they were afraid Joseph was going to get even with them. And so they came to him and Joseph said in verse 20, he had said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's a great definition of a trial that the enemy wants to use it to harm. The Lord wants to use it for our good. And then thirdly, and this is what Jonah was going through. This is a test. The source of a test is actually God. God tests us. He does it all the time. He actually authors a lot of tests in our life. The objective of a test is to test our hearts and to build our faith. Not to harm us, but to make us better. To make us holy. To help us be set apart for him. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 2 says, We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. God tests our hearts. A good example of God testing is Jonah and the sailors. The sailors were tested in this story as well, and they both passed the test. Unfortunately, Jonah didn't learn from his passing of the test of throwing, being thrown into the sea, but he did pass that test. The sailors passed it too. The sailors were being tested in that situation because they were being tested whether or not they would take an act of faith and throw him off the ship. And in Jonah 1, verse 15, it says, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. God responded to their act of faith in this test. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. These guys were pagans. Yet it looks to me here like they actually got saved. They, had a, they, had, they started to fear God. They made vows to God because of what happened. So they were tested by God. They passed the test and all of a sudden now they are possibly neglecting or rejecting their gods and serving the God of the universe. God will meet us when we respond to his testing. Jonah passed the test by telling them to throw him overboard, thinking he was going to sacrifice himself so that the people on the ship would be saved. And by doing that, he was thrown into the sea and a, and a fish swallowed him. We can often think that the fish was God's judgment on Jonah. The fish was God's deliverance. Without that fish, Jonah goes into a watery grave. Yet God brought that fish to, to deliver him and to save him and to bring him on dry land. Jonah passed that test and God met him in that place. 
God will meet us in that place when we pass the test, but it's always going to take an act of faith on our part. Always going to take an act. Don't try to wait out a test if it's God bringing it, because when God brings tests, it is always to test our faith. It's always to bring us to a place where we will step out and trust him. Always, always, always. You don't manage a test from God. He's trying to get your attention about something to get you to respond to him in the way that he wants you to respond. That's how we know if it is a test. All right, third and finally, a question we need to ask ourselves, am I allowing Jonah to stay on the boat? If we put ourselves in the sailor's shoes here, you know, the sailors were on this boat. They were supposed to be on the boat. They weren't in disobedience to God by being on this boat. But they allowed Jonah on the boat, and the Bible tells us that Jonah told them that he was running from God. So they allowed him on the boat, even though he was running from God, and they're paying the price for it. So the question for us is, are we allowing Jonah to stay on our boat? Jonah represents rebellion. It represents running from God. It represents sin. Are we allowing this sin to stay in our boat? Because there's something in your life, if you are... If you are in this season where there's a storm in your life and this, is, this test is happening, there's something in your life that God is wanting a lot of times that he's wanting to get rid of, that he's wanting you to deal with, that he's wanting you to take this step of faith and not allow this Jonah to stay on our boat. Maybe it's because we're afraid to get rid of it. Maybe the cost is too great. Maybe it's an inappropriate relationship. Maybe it's greed. Maybe, we've, maybe we're withholding forgiveness. Let me tell you, withholding forgiveness is a big Jonah on your boat because the Bible is very clear that we are not to withhold forgiveness and if we just choose and we're saying I cannot forgive this person because of what they've done to me and how much they have hurt me we are allowing that rebellion that sin to stay in our boat and it could be bringing a storm in our life Jesus talks about that very very clearly when he talks about the unmerciful servant and how that that unmerciful servant that received forgiveness did not extend forgiveness and they were judged for it it's the same exact thing are you allowing a Jonah to stay on your boat? And the storm isn't going to stop until you get it off the boat. Throw him overboard. If you need some help, if you're not strong enough on your own to get this thing out of your life and you need somebody to help you, you need accountability, you need friends that can encourage you and help you to make the tough decisions, get them. Call them, text them. Let's go have lunch. Let's figure this out. Get the help you need to pick Jonah up off the ground, off the deck and throw him overboard. Because the storm won't stop until you do. Have you ever wondered why Jonah didn't just jump in? The Bible's clear that Jonah says, listen guys, I'm the problem. You need to pick me up and throw me in the sea and the storm will be gone. Do you ever wonder why he didn't just say, listen guys, see you on the flip side and jump in? I have my own theory on this. There's, there's no, it's not clear cut in the, in the Bible why he did it, but I have a theory because I do believe, and I think it's clear that Jonah represents rebellion. He represents sin on that boat. The sailors are reaping what Jonah is sowing and he is running from God. He represents sin. I'm here to tell you today, the sin on your boat will never, ever jump off the boat on its own. Never, ever, ever, ever will it just say, you know what? I know you want to love Jesus now. I'm going to leave you alone. Have a good life. I'm out of here. Never. The sin nature in us does not go away completely until we get to stand with Jesus. 
So that sin nature is never going to say, yeah, I know you love God. You've been re- you know, you read your Bible enough. I think I'm just going to leave you alone. Yeah. It doesn't work. Sin will never, ever jump off your boat. Rebellion will never jump off your boat. Those things in your life that are keeping you in the storm are never just going to say, peace out. It is going to take an act of faith on your part to pick it up, carry it to the edge, and throw it. And if you're smart, you'll tie a big anchor to its ankle so it makes sure it doesn't come back up. Right? The Bible tells us to flee from sin. It tells us to throw off those things that can hinder us. To throw them off. The reason we have to throw them off is because they don't come off on their own. They don't jump off. You have have desires in you that, that are contrary to what God wants for your life. They'll always be there. It's just a matter of whether or not you let them win or if you're going to let the Spirit of God win in your life. That's what it is. Like we like to think you get saved, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, and you love Jesus, that all that stuff just kind of gives up. (laughs) It'll never give up. It'll never give up. Now you learn how to be set apart. You learn how to say no to those things. But if you've already let it in the boat to think it's just going to give up, if you think lust is just going to go away, if you just watch a little bit more porn, I'll get my fill and it'll be good. Nope, it just gets worse. If you think if I just drink, if I get drunk a few more times, I'll get my fill, I'll sow my wild oats, I'll be done with it. If I could just sleep with my girlfriend a little bit more, I'll get my fill and then I'll be done with it. Nope, it grows, it turns into more, it becomes addiction, it takes over your life, it ruins your life and one day you're standing there, you've allowed this thing in your boat for 20 years and your life is ruined because the storm broke your ship apart. It doesn't go away on its own, church. We have to choose to take that step of faith and throw it out of the boat. It's the only way we're really going to see the victory in our life. And these sailors, they had to, take an, they had to step out in faith and throw Jonah out. The, the Bible's clear. These guys didn't want to do this because they, they believed that Jonah was probably like a godly man. They knew he was a prophet. They didn't want to do it. And they tried to fight the storm on their own. They tried to row the oars, and it just kept getting worse. The more they fought, the Bible says, the worse the storm got. And it wasn't until they finally said, okay, Jonah, Stand up right here. <laughs> We're going to sh- woo. And when they did it, they had to step out in faith. And when they did, they saw God respond to them. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. But we have to be willing to get Jonah off of our boat. Now, I don't know what Jonah, who Jonah is in your life. I know who he is in my life. I know who that guy is that tries to keep getting in my boat. I want to put guards around my boat. So when he tries to climb up the side, they just kick him in the head. Not a real person. We wouldn't do that, but you got to know what what that is in your boat and know how to make sure that he doesn't have a place. Because here's the thing, and let me finish with this. Jonah will never be satisfied. Never, ever be satisfied. This this idea that we could just get our fill of something and then then we'll be done with it is really absurd. And we see Jonah, even in this story, you know, Jonah, it's kind of cool. He gets a book named after him and and uh, he's a prophet of God, and we can kind of respect him. But when you look at him in this story, he's actually not a good person at all. Because when God finally does spare Nineveh, he's angry about it, and he pouts. The book of Jonah ends with him pouting, leaning up against the tree, or up against a vine that God had sprout, that sprouted for him to give him some shade. And then God had a worm come and destroyed the vine, and Jonah's mad. And he's like, God, you might as well just kill me. And it wasn't because of the vine. It was because he was mad that he spared these Ninevites. In fact, he says, this is the whole reason I didn't want to go. I knew you were gracious and compassionate and you were going to forgive them. 
And that's how the book ends. So Jonah is not someone that we need to try to manage in our life because he's never going to be happy. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to close. I do want to pray for us today. Church, our God is a God of second chances. Some of us in this room today need a second chance. Today. Some of us have been running from God. You've been running from him. You're just not sure about this God thing. You're not sure if you're willing to get on his boat because the yachts look so pretty. The yachts probably have more money on them. The yachts have more entertainment on them. The yachts have more selfishness on them. And the yachts are headed to Comfortville, selfish town. All these places where it's all about me. And those boats are easy to get on. And most people are on those boats. But you can get off that boat and get on the right boat today. And whatever that is in your life, whether it's salvation, whether if you're just running from God, I don't even, I'm not even a Christian today. That's the first boat you need to get on is the boat of salvation. The boat of knowing that Jesus is who he said he is. He is God. He did die for your sins. He wants your life. He wants you to live for him. He died for you so that you could live for him. That's the first boat we need to get on. But if you're on that boat, but you're still going in the wrong direction, whatever that is, you're running from God. I encourage you today to let him in, to ask him to bend your will to match up with his or to break your will if you need to. I know it's a scary prayer to say, God, break my will. None of us, we, we like our will. The, the reason it's our will is because it's what we want. But the Bible's crystal clear. It's not about our will. It's about his. That's what, that's what this life is about. And so many of us are in storms because we refuse to let our will conform to his will. Because we're convinced we can do it our way and God will take it, just be okay with it and God will bless us. He's slow to anger, but doesn't say he just ignores everything. He also has an expectation for us to be his. If you're gonna be his, he wants you to be his. Not everybody else's. But oh, I'm so thankful he gives us second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances, as many as we need. Today, you can just turn, jump off the boat and go with him and he will receive you. He does not cast us aside. He does not reject us. He welcomes us with open arms, just like the, the father did to the prodigal son every single time. No matter if you might say, you know what, pastor, I've, I've rejected him so many times. I think he's, I've probably worn out my welcome. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Don't believe the lie of the devil or the lie of another somebody, some pastor that told you something that God doesn't love you anymore because you've screwed up too many times. No such thing. No such thing. So let's pray today. And I just encourage you to pray as well. Just give whatever it is that you've been keeping from him or whatever you've been running from, give it to the Lord today. Let's pray. Father God, we do love you. We thank you again that you are the God of second chances. Lord, you are so good. You are so faithful. You're so compassionate and full of grace, slow to anger, rich in love. We don't deserve it, Lord. We don't deserve it, but wow, do we receive it. We thank you for it today. We thank you that it's not because we're good enough, it's because of what you've done for us. God, whatever any one of us that can hear this today, any one of us, whatever we're running from, you're playing for us, or if there's sin, we're allowing to stay on our boat. Whatever it is, God, would you give us the courage today to take that step of faith, to say no more. Today's the last day. That thing's getting off the boat. 
Help us, Lord, to have the courage to follow you. We know that it is a great cost to follow you, to leave so many things behind. But God, we also know, those of us that have experienced you know that there is nothing we'll ever leave behind that's better than living with you. God, would you make that real to each and every one of us today? We pray that your presence would overwhelm us, Lord. Your love would flood our hearts and minister to us in a way that only you can, God. Lord, I, break, I come against any fear that's in anyone's life, Lord, that, that living for you, it's just too scary. God, we come against that today in the name of Jesus. We thank you today that living for you is where real peace comes, that that is where the peace that surpasses understanding guards our heart, is when we are committed and submitted to you. Lord, I pray for those in the, in the, under the sound of my voice today that don't know you as their Lord. Would you give them the courage today to give their lives to you? to trust you with their lives and to walk away from the things that this world would give us. Lord, we pray that you would expose the lies of the enemy in our life. Expose them, help us to see them for what they are. And Lord, would you seal the work you're doing in our life right now by your spirit. Seal it, God, as the enemy would want to come and pluck it out and cause us to think 10 minutes from now, nothing happened. You're not any different. You're not going to change anything in your life. It's going to be just like it was yesterday. God, those lies that they would be exposed and you would seal your work. Do a heart change in each one of us. Make us holy as you are holy, Lord. We'll give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. You're the only one that deserves any of it. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Can we give God a hand clap offering today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Praise the Lord.